Hello, hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Rachel Gallardo, and I am your wonderful host for today's episode and quite frankly, for all of our episodes. And I'm super excited for you guys to be here today. I really hope the information is valuable for you and that you learn something and that you learn just a little bit more about personality, you know, to add another tool to your tool belt to help you level the challenges that you encounter in the work environment. Um, I really do believe that workplace burnout is real and anything that we can do to reduce burnout and fatigue in our leadership will ultimately have a positive impact on our team. It'll have a positive impact on us. It'll transfer over into less stress and things of that nature in our personal lives. And so um, I really do hope that this is beneficial for you and it gives you something to think about. I do try to post a new episode on the second and the fourth Tuesday of the month. So if this is not your first episode, welcome back. Thank you so much. Um, be sure to comment on any, you know, this episode or any episode, because when you comment, that helps other people kind of understand what to expect in the episode, and then they can try to get some valuable information out of it as well. And, you know, leadership really and truly is a journey. So share this information with other people. You know, you can, you can tag me, you can do all sorts of things to let other people know about this particular episode. And like I said, hopefully it provides some sort of value. And I am working on a book. Gosh, editors, man, they know how to just rip things apart, but in a good way. So um, I'm really excited about that. And I'm hoping that that will help people in their leadership roles as well, long-term and in the future. For those of you that are new, I do try to base all of our topics around a particular scripture that I've just been thinking about. And that's been kind of weighing on my heart with just different things that are going on in my own life. And so for today's episode, Psalms 139.14 is perfect. It says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Okay, so let's take a dive into personality. And my personal favorite personality theory is the big five theory. I mean, I did my dissertation on it, or it was one of the theories that I used. And um, I just, I'm so, so fascinated by this particular personality theory. And while my, my psychologists out there that are way smarter than I am, I know that some of this is kind of like, ugh, here we go. But, but there is some sort of basis to it. If you take a look at some of the research that's out there, there's also a lot of research that says, eh, this isn't probably the most sound, but in what the things that I've looked at in my own experiences and just things that I've seen in people and, and in watching people and in leading people, um, there really and truly is some validity to what is going on. So what in the world is the big five theory? Well, let me give you a little bit of history. So welcome to, to Gen Psych, you know, 101. Um, basically, the theory is based on personality psychology and personality psychology um, began to develop in the late 19th and early 20th century. So we are not like the physics and the chemistries and the math and the biology scientists of the world. Psychology is itself is a pretty new science. And so there's still a lot of things that we are trying to figure out that we're trying to collect data on. But Sigmund Freud is one of the first in the field. OK, um, we won't go all the way back to the very beginning, but Sigmund Freud is probably the one that everybody's pretty familiar with. And just to kind of give you a baseline um, piece of information, he theorized that we had a conscious mind and an unconscious mind, and that sometimes this unconscious mind can cause us to behave in different ways based on our personal desires, our childhood experiences, and just general unaware of the unknown conflict that kind of stirs within us. And Freud was not always popular, right? So everybody knows his name, but there was a lot of things that he did that are not always so sound. Um, some of his research methods were kind of sketch. I mean, anybody that does illegal drugs with their patients and then wants to, you know, look at their behavior and then make determinations about, you know, society as a whole is not what I would call psychological or um, statistically sound. So, um, but, you know, he did give us somewhere to start from. So we have to give him credit for that. But 
Fast forward to just a little bit, Gordon Alport and then Henry Odbert in 1936 suggested we could understand personality traits based on the words that people use to describe themselves and others. So we start to see these two individuals that are starting to really notice what other people do. And it's like, okay, well, if those are the words that you use to describe yourself, maybe we can understand you more as a person. All right. Well, then now let's fast forward another 50 years. So in the 1980s, Lewis Goldberg, Robert McRae, and Paul Costa developed the five-factor model of personality. So this is where the foundation for this particular theory comes from. And basically what they did is that they reviewed the current literature of personality tests, and they found that um, all of the tests can be really based upon five dimensions. And I like to remember these, each of these five dimension, dimensions by using the word ocean. Um, I know that some people like to use the word canoe, same five letters. They're just kind of rearranged a little bit differently. I personally prefer the ocean because, you know, I just think it's, it's absolutely beautiful and the waters are beautiful. And while I'm not really a fan of the beach, I could totally see myself in a hammock, you know, just taking a nap and listening to the sounds of the water. So ocean is kind of more my, my way to help me remember all five of these. And they did this, you know, going back to the, our researchers, they did tests and tests and tests and tests and tests, and they were really trying to confirm that reliability and validity. So um, everything in psychology is a theory. There's a couple of laws that are in there, but for the most part, we're talking about theories. So when we go through each of these five personality traits, I don't want for you to think, oh, well, this is me 100% all of the time. Okay. Because that's just simply not the case. In some instances, we might need to be a little bit more one way. In other instances, we might be a little bit more the other way. Um, but you want to take a look at it as you, as, as a whole, and generally, which way do you tend to lean a little bit more? Now, one more point before we go into this, we all have all five of these characteristics. So according to the theory, we all have all five of the elements of ocean, but we just happen to have them at different levels. So high, medium, or low, it's kind of a sliding scale. So like I said, I want for you to think about how you are most of the time when we look at these, but then I also want you to think about different people on your team. How do they respond to situations? How do they come across on a day-to-day -day basis? How do they organize their work? How do they approach life? What, you know, based on the dialogue that you have with them, how would you describe them? Because if you can really and truly understand you know, take notice of what their behavior is, then you can understand their personality. And if you understand people and you can find a way to connect with people where they're at, then that can help you become a better leader. Okay. So I'm not saying that this is a perfect science. And obviously if somebody is dealing with, you know, depression or they've got severe anxiety, or there's just personal things that are going on, it might throw them off just a little bit. And so this isn't something that you should make a snap decision on. This isn't something that you should do a psychological assessment on yourself. You know, we want to leave that to the pros, but it is just something to consider. And it is a theory to um, maybe just perceive your, your, the people on your team just a little bit differently, take some time to understand them a little bit further, but first and foremost, take some time to understand yourself a little bit more too, because if you don't know you and you don't know how to lead yourself, it can be really difficult to lead other people too. All right. So here we go. The big five, let's dive in. The very first one in our OCEAN um, acronym is going to be openness. 
So when we talk about openness, these individuals, if they're on the more of a high scale, they tend to be very imaginative. They're very creative. They want to seek out new and unique experiences. And they're usually open to new ideas and new perspectives. You know, they're curious about the world. These individuals are always wanting to try new restaurants. They're traveling to different places. They may not even take the same way home from work every day because they they just they get bored. And so they want to try new things to kind of expand their mind. People that are low in this particular trait, they do prefer more familiar situations and they're more practical with their solutions. Man, they love their routine. They like knowing what time they're going to do something. They have a set schedule. They usually don't like to deviate from that. They take the same way home from work. They like to eat at the same Chinese food restaurant at six o'clock on Tuesdays, the same Kung Pao chicken, the same, the same, the same. And there's comfort and there's just a lot of familiarity with that. And so they, they like to stick with what they know not because they're boring people, that's just where their comfort zone is, right? And so if you as a leader are high in this area, then you are probably more likely willing to take risks. Um, You like to encourage new ideas, you encourage brainstorming and different creative solutions. And these individuals are usually really good about asking for feedback and they truly wanna hear the feedback so that way they, they can improve because they like hearing these new ideas from people. They like hearing these different perspectives. And this is obvious, this is really great for for very obvious reasons, right? Like people that like to take risks and they like to generate brainstorming. This is great because they're always looking for ways to improve the situation and just to make the company better overall. Now, the problem with this though, is that these individuals might be more inclined to change things that don't necessarily need to occur simply because they don't like the routine, right? So just because you're wanting to change something for the sake of changing it, That just, that makes no sense. If you're going to implement some sort of change, it needs to be because there's an advantageous reason to do it. And just having change for the sake of change, not not the best way to lead. Now, if this individual is on the lower scale, let's talk about it from, from a leadership standpoint. You may enjoy the status quo and you are very, very resistant to change. And you don't really want to welcome new ideas because, you know, well, this is the way that we've always done it. And so this is the way that we're we're going to continue to do it. And, you know, there is a lot of stability with that particular trait because they don't want to necessarily change anything. They don't want to disrupt the flow of what's going on. But at the same time, the industry that you're in, I don't care what industry it is, it is constantly changing. You've got a younger generation of workers that are coming into the work environment. We've all just made it to the other side of COVID. So our expectations with our work environment is different. And if you're always staying the same, you are going to miss out from an industry standpoint on recruiting the best people and um, leading your team. There's just, there's so many things that you are not helping your team with if you're not being inventive, if you're not taking those risks. And so we shouldn't always be implementing change, but we shouldn't always be resisting change because of fear or because we just don't want to disrupt our comfort zone. If you decide that, you know what, let's not implement the change right now because you're still trying to collect data and collect information, then that's okay. But if you know that this is the direction that your team needs to go in and you choose not to do it simply because you're comfortable, then that's not an appropriate way to lead either. Okay. So that's our trait of openness. And remember I said, we we're going to, we we're going to base this off of the oceans. We've got openness. Our second one is conscientiousness, very complicated word, multiple syllables. But when we talk about conscientiousness, this trait really hinges on how carefully organized um, and responsible this person is. So this, this individual is going to be very, very reliable. 
Um, they probably live and breathe by their Outlook calendar. Um, they may even color coordinate their calendar depending upon what's going on. They've got different folders. They, they you know, depending upon the pen that, that they're writing with, you can tell what they're working on. Like these people are very, very routine in how they approach their work, right? They can tell you, like, if you were to ask them, hey, such and such, where is, you know, XYZ folder in your office? They can say, well, if you go to the third filing cabinet um, on the left-hand side, fourth drawer down, it's going to be right there in the middle in a blue tab. Like that's, that's where the, that's how these people organize their, their work life and how they kind of perceive their work surroundings. Now, if this, if you're low in this particular area, you're likely not very organized. Um, you might be constantly searching for something because you can't really remember where you filed it. Um, sometimes these individuals might be running late to their different events because they're not, they're just, you know, they're, it's not really high on their priority list. It's not something that they really concern themselves with. And there's, there's a lot of leaders out there that are, are not very organized. You walk into their office and it looks like, you know, the, the copy machine exploded because there's just papers everywhere. Einstein, classic example of this. If Whenever you look at how his office was after his passing, it looks like it was in complete and total shambles. So we have to be careful about this one. Like, don't judge a book by its cover. Just because somebody isn't organized, that doesn't mean that they can't be effective in their role. It's just how they thrive the most, right? So they, they might thrive in a very, very organized environment and other people might thrive in a, in a less organized environment, right? Having said that, though, if you do have somebody on your team that is very high in these areas um, or in conscientiousness, I should say, they are more likely to be prompt. They're going to be punctual and they're not going to really seem all that stressed out because they know what they're doing at every single moment of the day. There's a really popular thing about time management called time blocking. And so from eight to nine, they're doing this from nine to 10. They're doing this from 10 to 11. They're doing this. They take a 30 minute break between 11, 11, 30, like literally their entire day is structured and they don't want to waste it on useless meetings or conversations that are just not fruitful because you know what? I, I have certain things that I want to accomplish and you are getting in my way of being able to, to accomplish those things. This is really great for a lot of reasons. This can also be really bad for a lot of reasons. The bad thing about this is that people that are really high in conscientiousness, they can come across as being very, very rigid or just simply inflexible. And while this self-discipline can really transfer over into a lot of positive things in their life, they can also come across as being super inflexible and making it seem as though they're not really available for their team. So if you are high in this area, um, in, in the area of conscientiousness, I would really encourage you to take a look at your calendar and naturally build in opportunities for conversation with your team for the possibility of interruptions. Um, if you have to build in, go for a walk around the building so that way you can literally take the time to interact with your team and still make it feel as though you're accomplishing something, then that's what you need to do. I'm the type of person that I do live and breathe by my Outlook calendar. I'm not as stringent as from eight to nine, I'm doing this from nine to 10, I'm doing that. But I do have pretty set goals as far as what I wanna do. And so as somebody that is highly conscientious, um, I really have to work at this and that's just me being fully transparent. Now, for those of you that are low in this area, or if you are a leader, or if your, your supervisor is low in this area, they may not start the meeting on time. And even whenever they do start the meeting, it's very much um, a, personal dialogue instead of, okay, let's, let's jump right in and, and get to the point of why we're here. So 
while they, they might be interacting with people and, Hey, how was your weekend? And Oh, such and such this. And did you try this new restaurant? People that are high in consciousness, it's the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes. They're sitting there like, why, why are we having this conversation? This could have been in an email. You're wasting my time. I have other things to do besides to hear about what restaurant you tried this weekend. Right. Um, we, it, ultimately there just, there needs to be a balance. Okay. So if you are low in this area and you do end up telling somebody, Hey, I'm going to have that item to you by Thursday at noon, you need to really try to stick with it. So that's just a matter of respect. That's a matter of, um, you know, you, you gave somebody your word about when you're going to do something. If you know that you're not going to meet that mark, then either number one, email them before the deadline and say, Hey, I'm not going to meet the mark. Here's when you'll expect the next or build in a buffer. So if you are, you know, you know that your team needs that information by Thursday at two, give yourself a deadline of like Wednesday by five. So that way you've got a little bit of wiggle room should you not be able to meet the time. Okay. Now it is possible for you to be highly conscientious for yourself, but not project that team to other, to that item, to other people on your team. And so this is my final thought as far as the conscientiousness component what we do for ourselves, it is possible that we don't set those same expectations on other people. So it's okay for you to be self-discipline, but maybe you should give grace and um, a little bit of leniency and forgiveness towards other people. And with this trait, we really have to be mindful not to force others to do something just because we want it done a certain way, especially if the end goal is just simply for the task to be completed. If the work gets done, like who cares how it happens, but people that are highly conscientious may have their own idea about the step-by-step -step process that needs to occur. We've got to keep ourselves in check. We need to make sure that we don't, we don't do that. If you're high in conscientiousness. Okay. So we've got openness. We've got conscientiousness. The E in our ocean example is extroversion. Now, this is a phrase that a lot of people are very much aware of. So I probably don't need to spend too much time on it, but, um, we still need to maybe, think about it just from a little bit of a different perspective, because there's a lot of extroversion, introversion information that's out there on social media and just in the news and things like that. And a lot of it is not necessarily true. So when we talk about people being extroverted, it refers to their, their desire to want to interact with people. And if they're going to be outgoing, if they're going to be somewhat assertive, if they're going to be sociable, I mean, if you know people on your team that are extroverted, they never, they never meet a stranger. Um, they are always open to seek out opportunities to act and to be with other people. They're really comfortable in large groups and they really enjoy socializing. And in fact, they are energized by these social interactions. And if these individuals are kept in isolation for too long, then they might start to show some signs of clinical depression, not to say that they are depressed, but there are some parallels to, from a, a cognitive thinking standpoint that might cause them to kind of go down that road. Now, if somebody is high in extroversion, then again, they, they like to socialize. They like to have the big meetings. Um, they can make connections with anybody in the room. If you know somebody that's in sales or marketing or, um, any kind of customer service thing where they're like really interacting with the customers, they are likely extroverted individuals. These individuals really truly like to make connections. Um, they know how to cross those department lines and they just, 
they, you know, if their computer breaks, they've got it somebody in it. If they've got a marketing question, they can pick up the phone and, and talk like old friends to the person that's in marketing. They just, they always seem to be comfortable talking with people and having meetings and attending those corporate gatherings. And leaders with this dynamic are also more likely to take risks because they really don't care if this other person doesn't like them. Like I'm going to come over and say hi. And if they don't like me and, and then it's, it's whatever, but usually the risk is very calculated and they still have done their due diligence. So they're not reckless, right? They're just, they're, they're okay with taking a risk here and there. They have that, you know, well, let's try and see what happens attitude. And so they are more likely to jump in and do things more so than the introverts. So if you are low in extroversion, then you're considered an introvert, right? And they might still know a lot of people. So this is not about how big your contact list is, but they just, they know individuals in a very different way. So while the, ex, the high extroverted individual is more likely to wanna be with a whole bunch of people, the person low in extroversion makes connections with people while they're getting coffee in the break room or while they're passing each other in the hallway or you know, having like a one-on-one -on -one session that they, you know, my computer did break. And so I happen to have a conversation with somebody in IT. And so now we have a, com a, a contact or a connection with somebody in that way. So those low and extroversion, they are not the type to want to throw the big, huge office party, and they're not going to be the source of entertainment. Um, if they have small talk with too many people, it can actually be really stressful and cause them to be worn down. Um, if you have somebody on your team that is low and extroversion, um, they can still engage with a group, but just understand that there's going to be a, a period of time where they're mentally, there's something in the head that switches off and they're like, and I'm done. Um, they need to go somewhere else. They prefer their solitude. You know, they might drive home with no music. They'll go to the gym and shut, just shut out the world behind them. They might go home and read. And I, I fully understand this dynamic because I am low on the extroversion scale as well. I mean, heck, just look at this podcast. I'm connecting with plenty of people, but I'm doing it in a very small way where it's just, you know, me talking to whoever happens to be listening. And there's not a whole lot of back and forth, small talk, that sort of thing that has to incur, right? And so with people that are low in extroversion, if they are forced into these environments where they have to constantly interact and constantly be on, on point or, or, you know, given some sort of performance because there's just so many people around, then they too can, can start to kind of show some of those clinical signs of depression. Um, they prefer their solitude and they just, they enjoy a small gathering instead of everybody coming together and, and having this big dynamic all the time. So I want for you to really think about the people on your team who always seem to be at the employee functions and those who never seem to come. Some leaders might you know, jump to a conclusion of, oh, well, such and such, she never wants to come to any of our events. Okay, well, it may not have anything to do with that. Maybe she's got anxiety. Maybe she just doesn't like being around a large group of people. But if you try connecting with this individual on a one-on-one -on -one basis, they might be more likely to open up. Okay. Um, we have to, no matter if you are low or high in this particular area, there has to be a balance. Like everything, there has to be a balance. We can't always be out socializing with everybody all the time because there is work that needs to be done, but we can't, you know, be hermit crabs in our office and never talk to anybody else because every, every part of the organization works together and you do have to reach out to people. So we've got to find a balance. We've got to find a way from a leadership standpoint to be visible and be productive be friendly, but not um, overbearing and make those one-on-one -on -one connections, but not time suck people's time. And just remember everything that you do and everything that you don't do as a leader ultimately has an impact. And 
this, imp, this particular trait of the big five, in my personal opinion, is probably the one that has the most impact. Now I could be completely wrong with that. I know I'll get emails. It's fine. But you know, the introversion, the introversion, extroversion dynamic is really, really impactful in the work environment. Okay. So we've got openness. We have conscientiousness. We have extroversion. Now we move along to the A in our ocean, which is agreeableness. So if somebody is agreeable, basically this particular trait refers to people that are kind, that they're cooperative, they're empathetic, they're altruistic. Um, these leaders tend to look for ways to be helpful for other people. And they're really concerned about maintaining that social harmony within the work environment. And these individuals, um, they do tend to be compassionate towards others. And they can really sense if someone is needed or if somebody is just kind of off from their normal self, like they just... They have that ability to really be intuitive about the people around them. So if you have somebody in your team that is high in this area, then they really truly are concerned for the well-being of their fellow coworkers, and they're constantly wanting to do something that nurtures and supports people. These are the individuals that are, are walking around with the you know sympathy card if, if one of the employees has a you know family member that passes away. This is the employee that is, is trying to, to get donations for the, the baby gift for the entire group, like these individuals really and truly know how to put themselves in the other person's position and stop and think, if I were that person, what would I need in this particular situation? These individuals are, are just, they're really good at being intuitive. Um, they want to be the peacekeepers and they just, they want to make sure that everybody on the team is taken care of, not just on a professional manner, on a professional level, but also on a personal level as well. Now, people that are low in this particular trait, they're just, they're not really mindful of those things. It doesn't make them a bad person. They're just, they don't really consider it from somebody else's perspective. Um, you know, they have a job to do. They're there to do their job. Um, and, and it could very well be, maybe they don't like that person. Maybe they don't want to contribute to the baby shower gift because they don't like so-and-so. And, you know, it's not my kid, not my, not my, why, why should I worry about it? Right. And people have the right to be that way. It's just important that we as leaders kind of recognize that and understand it. Um, so that way we can understand where they're coming from because we understand them more as a person. Now, if you, as their leader are high in this area, it's great that you're concerned about your employees. It's good that you show support and you show understanding whenever somebody comes to you saying that they're struggling, but it's not okay to constantly make exceptions. So that way that there's no accountability or consistency within your leadership. So again, I've said it before, I'll say it again, you've got to have balance. It's okay to be empathetic for people, but we also still have to maintain expectations. It's okay to want to support people, but we also have to make sure that policy is being followed, right? There's a time to trust your team to do the work and to work through the situation, but then there's also a time where you as the leader need to take charge of the situation. And so having a good balance and really being mindful using discernment with each situation that you're in as a leader will help you make sure that there's balance. So that way, um, no matter which side you, your own personality trait is, whenever it comes to this particular item, you know how to walk that line and be consistent and fair across everybody on your team. Okay. All right. So one more time, recap, openness, um, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and then our very last one, and then we'll wrap it up for today, neuroticism. So when we talk about neuroticism, the American Psychological Association defines this as the state of being neurotic or a proneness to neuro neurosis. And when I read that, I was like, okay, that, that doesn't help at all. Like you, you're not supposed to use the word when you're defining 
what it is. Okay. So I went a little bit deeper for you guys and I looked up neurosis. And again, the American Psychological Association states that neurosis is having persistent and irrational fears, obsessive thoughts, compulsive actives, dissociative states, and somatic and depressive reactions. And I was like, okay, now we're finally getting somewhere. So typically these individuals, let me, and, you know, in layman's terms, just say that these individuals are more likely to experience negative emotions. So they're more likely to have anxiety, fear, depression, moodiness. And this person can also have feelings of really negative self-doubt, really negative self-confidence, negative self-esteem, and they do tend to worry excessively. So if you are somebody, or if you are a leader that is high in this area, you tend to worry about a lot of things, whether those are real or not. You're just, you're in that constant state of worry, that constant state of anxiousness. And you're worried about being a good leader. You're worried about that last meeting. And you're worried about, oh man, did I say that thing wrong with that one employee? And quite frankly, the lack of confidence in these particular areas can really weigh you down. And if people are constantly having to prop you up to tell you that you're a good leader or to tell you that you're doing a great job, you know, we shouldn't be spending all of our time running around trying to get affirmations from everybody. If somebody from time to time wants to pop in and say, Hey, you're doing a really great job, or we really value you as a leader, then that's one thing. And asking for feedback can be a good thing, but asking for somebody to reverse your self doubt all of the time, that's not right. Like, People shouldn't be having to prop you up emotionally and to prop you up for your, your self-esteem on a regular basis. Like those are things that you should be working on to better for yourself and to, to fulfill what you know to be true and to just, just do a deep dive on, on who you are as a person. So that way you can be more effective and not be so anxious all the time. Now, people that are low on this particular scale of neuroticism or Yeah. Um, they typically are pretty resilient. They're usually pretty stable and they're usually pretty self-assured with their emotions. Um, they're usually not going to be really rocked when a stressful situation occurs and they know what they're capable of doing and they're willing to be, to, to dive in and really take care of what needs to happen. But then they're going to go back to being their usual, even kill self. Once that particular situation is evolved or has been resolved. So these individuals, they know that they're good leaders and they don't necessarily need to hear it all the time from other people. Um, but they, they decide to change and they decide to modify their leadership based on when they do hear feedback. Um, and when it's the right time to do that thing within their current leadership role. So, you know, maybe it's something that they are working on. You know what? I do want to try to be a little bit more empathetic. It's not because somebody told them that they need to be more empathetic but it's just an aspect of their leadership that they're trying to work on. Or maybe it's an aspect of, of just, you know, being a better human to the other humans that makes them say, you know what, I need to focus more on empathy. Let me try to go and do that. So again, said it before, let me say it one more time. There should be a balance. Okay. So we shouldn't, we need to be open to feedback, but don't let one bad review cause you to totally downslide. Right. Um, take the strides that you can to, to love yourself, but don't be so cocky and arrogant that you're conceited and you think, yeah, I don't need to hear anybody else's opinion about anything. Um, be open to feedback. And whenever it's time to take action, then take action. But there's only so much that you can do, um, to better yourself before it just comes across as desperation, right? So be kind to yourself, be understanding with yourself, understand that some things do take time. 
and don't waste too much energy into it. Um, and the research that I have done neuroticism being high in this particular trait was one of the biggest things that determined if the nurse, cause I studied nurses with my research, um, was likely to burn out. And so if you're in a constant state of worry, constant state of stress, this is the number one indicator, at least based on the big five that would determine if somebody was likely to go into what's called compassion fatigue. And then ultimately what led people into burnout. So if you are the type of person that is in that constant anxious state, I would challenge you to look for ways to reverse that. So that way you don't burn out as a leader, as a human being. So I hope that this episode has peeled away one of the many, 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 many layers of personality. When we look at people, um, again, I would just challenge you to take the time to reflect on this information get to know yourself and, you know, create a chart, maybe write things out and then, you know, put high, medium or low, and then put a, you know, list out all of your employees and list, add yourself in that list too. And then not, you know, mark people as high, medium or low. And again, the more you can understand yourself, the better you can manage your team the more that you can understand people, the more of an effective leader that you're going to be. So again, if you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button to receive new content. You can find this content wherever you're listening to the sound of my voice. Um, share with another person in your circle who wants to improve their leadership. Again, take a screenshot, follow me on all of the things. I do try to post positive and consistent content related to leadership that you can add to your tool belt. And bonus, um, I have created a website. So feel free to go check it out. It's at rachelgallardo.net for more content information. And I'm working on getting a monthly newsletter sent out too. So if you want to be a part of that, make sure that you sign up to receive the monthly newsletter. And remember, you are made to be a leader right where you are, wherever you are leading. This podcast can help you level the field of challenges you face while you walk the journey of leadership. Take care of yourself. Take care of your team. You can 1000% do this. And until next time.